Mark, the sixth chapter, the 41st through the 44th verses say, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fish. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. My dad grew up a small boy in a small house, down a small road in a small town, surrounded by a huge family with a whole lot of love to go around. Yet in my eyes, his second oldest son, he would spend his whole life searching. What is he searching for, one might ask? To answer that question, let's start with the present. My dad, Rev, as he allowed my older brother and I to call him, since he was our coach in baseball, to be like the other players, is 74 years old. He's been on his deathbed literally at least twice where the family was called in. Once where we were planning his funeral and they were changing the blood flow to ease him away. But God said, not today. Both times after strokes that changed his life physically, mentally, but never spiritually. As he barely can stand now, using his walker or assistance just to rise to his feet. You'd never know him as the man I know him to be. I see a titan, a giant, a chameleon, a lion, but most of all, to me, he's that loaf of bread that Jesus just kept plucking from. And every time he'd grab for more, there'd be another and another and another piece to grab until the multitude was fed. But who fed the bread? You see, as a kid, you value certain things in your father especially as a boy. The things you value the most are the tangible things you can brag on, or even better hear other people brag about for you, especially when you grow up in a big family littered with talented fathers. Some people didn't have to say a word, but showed off their father's money by what they wore or were able to buy, money they could bring to school. My cousins who were in the original family, all had fathers that sang in the group of brothers that traveled up and down the East Coast, singing from church to church. For a little while in my younger days, probably before I was seven or eight, I didn't know what I had to brag on about my own. He worked a lot. And when he got home, he was leaving to go to work on someone's car or house or any odd thing anyone in the community needed. And he had 30 seconds to spare. To spare meaning to spend with his own family. They stole him away. That seemed to be the story of every single day. Then my dad gave me something to brag about. Well, even better, he gave me something to listen to other people brag about. Somehow, in these seven years or so, I was either trapped under a rock or playing outside and missed the sermon. But I think our church finally started letting people other than the pastor preach on different Sundays. Whatever it was, this incredible deep booming voice said, early, early one Sunday morning, I found him, oh yeah. It was the inflection of his voice at that point in the sermon that made us kids playing in the back of the church all stop and pay attention. 
I still remember my friend of me, Melvin, tapping me and saying, that's your daddy. He went on to stop feeling it and threw in what would later be his catchphrase. He, 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 God. And the church erupted. And in my eyes, a star was born. Who was this man? I wanted to get to know him. I wanted his autograph after. I sat up in church, shoulders square, head up, looking around like that was my son up there. And I was the proud father. That Monday in school, I couldn't wait to hear what the talk about fathers would be like. Wouldn't you know it, Melvin brought up my father. And a few people chimed in about him preaching and it felt great. I couldn't wait to get home and tell my dad. I ran home, waited up for him, told him about him preaching. And he just looked at me like I had just told him a boring story about ants carrying a dead worm back to their nets. I'll never forget because it was the thing I thought I could be the most proud of. And it was for him just one of the things God leads him to do. I definitely didn't understand. From that moment on, if he wasn't going to be one proud of what he was doing, I was going to carry the mantle for him. I'd let people know when I knew he was preaching Sunday or if he was the MC on the program because everyone knew when he got that mic in his hand, he was going to act up. He would sing a song and what sounded at least to my ears like a beautiful tenor would ring through the church or he would pray and it would be almost as exciting as when he'd preach. He was so masterful with the mic in his hand that to a young kid like me was what I was most proud of. But he would get home and before he could get out of his church clothes, the phone would ring or someone would show up at the door and he would be gone. Just as he was the jack of all trades in the church, the things that made me smile high five in the back of my neck. He was also the jack of all trades in the world. He could fix anything. And most of the time his heart wouldn't allow him to take money for doing it, or he would take very little as not to hurt the other person's pocket. That part of him to the kid seemed weak, seemed like a lot going out without a whole lot coming in. Where was the glory in that? Who brags on him for that? No one says Reb or TJ came over and fixed this or that. Nobody bragged that he could figure out how to fix cars he had never seen before or fix anything under or inside a house. He could touch anything electrical, well, mold, make, build, almost anything. He just did. I would revel in the people of different churches saying, I don't know if I would rather hear your daddy sing or pray or preach. And that was him serving God to the highest. But he would tell me then and now, all of it was in service to God. But if you're at a magic show and the magician just kept pulling rabbits out of his hat, it'd be hard not to focus on the continuous rabbits coming out. My eyes were fixed on the pieces of bread feeding the multitude and not the actual loaf that kept on giving. Where I looked at him as a youth, as weak, as it where he was actually the strongest. I always wondered 
who gives to the gift that keeps on giving? Eventually, the loaf of bread does run out. I saw a man that gave and gave and gave, but still woke up every day ready to do it again. Eventually, you're curious to know how he is still standing. Well, he would tell you, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And he would mean it. His feet were planted so deep, rooted in the gospel, that at times he knew so much about the Bible and the history surrounding it, you'd think he was there. He studied the word, was passionate about it. He lived it. He breathed it. It surrounded him in everything he did. I watched him stand in a crowd of people that would never grace the doors of the church, drinking beer or other alcoholic beverages, passing him his Pepsi or Mountain Dew, and educate them about the word of God. These were conversations your average preacher would not find themselves in or participate in because it's beneath them or could get out of hand, but he was all for it. These were his friends after all. There would be doubters, blasphemy, or just ones questioning how he could be so comfortable around them, and he would entertain them all. He would debate all, take on all questions, and give his own monologue. Sometimes someone would get too drunk and curse at him or walk away not wanting to hear this. But more times than not, someone would agree and even at least say they would come to church on Sunday. I watched him turn some of those same people into his number one fans that would call the house to know if Red was preaching this Sunday, or if he was preaching at a church near them so they could be there. He stood on that rock. He could walk into the lion's den full of vicious, hungry lions and walk out unblemished, escorted by the very beast meant to tear him apart. When my father would first get up to preach, he would primarily sing three songs. One that was his all-time favorite, Near the Cross. He would start off singing every time slow like the hymnal was designed to sing. He would show off his voice and the vibrato in it over the mic while leading with the audience. Then he would say, okay, let's sing it like the old folks. And the musicians knew to speed it up as well as the crowd with the clap and the whole rhythm of the song would change. Now he would show that not only could he carry a song, but he could also lead. Everyone in the church would be enjoying the moment in the song, but not me. I was focused on his every note like my name was Simon Kyle and this was the American Idol. Or better yet, I was the parent watching him audition on American Idol, hoping he just didn't mess up my, his notes. And after he would kneel and the crowd would all seem pleased, I could sit back in my seat like, yes, we did it. Usually when he would get up to preach, my fingers would be crossed that he'd sing this song. However, one of the other songs he'd sing, Count Your Blessings, would never disappoint. It's actually the one that spoke the most to me and I take with me most through life. This one didn't consist of much lead, but he had his ad-libs here and there that still put a stamp on the song. The third song, which is my personal favorite, is the sermon he's been preaching his whole life. 
without ever uttering a song behind the pulpit. He would sing it before he would preach. But the times I would really love to hear him sing it would have had his brother's group anniversary. He would be the MC of the program, and at some point during the program, it called for him to deliver the prayer. And so he would sing, there's a dream that I dreamed of my heavenly, heavenly home. I know that I'm going there one day. Maybe morning, night, or noon. I'm not sure just how soon. That's why I'm sending on up my timbers every, every day. There, there lies the sermon. While I was sitting there being hypnotized by the pieces of bread that kept multiplying, I never caught the sleight of hand. I had not put on my spiritual goggles to see the 3D image. Every piece of thread that was going out was a spiritual timber being sent up to build his heavenly home. You see that day when God called him to preach and bind him up so bad that the people in the Navy thought he was crazy. God was preparing to move him out of that one bedroom apartment where the light sometimes worked or the water is sometimes too cold, or there was just no room for him to grow. He showed him a beautiful picture of the house he could have and leave this place behind. He said, TJ, I will show you how to build this house if you will just stop fighting and let me bless you. See, sometimes we don't wrestle the angels to receive a blessing. Sometimes we wrestle the angels to run away from us. The hardest thing to do sometimes is to just relax. Relax and let someone else take control. I know it to be true. No doctor or nurse can get a good read on me because telling me to relax is like telling me to resist hard. So yes, it's hard to give someone complete control of you, of your life. But if we could just relax, stop fighting, stop wrestling, let God bless us. God told him, if you let me bless you and follow me, I'll give the builders this design. And when he let go, that's when God began to move all over him and talk to him and teach him who he needed him to be. He told him he would build this house on the most solid foundation there is. No other ground around him could be used. All other grounds were sinking sand. But on Christ, the solid rock, on this rock he would build his ministry and on this rock stood his heavenly home. So every time I saw him delivering a sermon in the pulpit and that made me so proud, Reb was just chopping wood and sending up a little timber. When I heard him sing a song or pray a prayer, Reb was just chopping wood and sending up a little timber. When the phone would ring or someone would show up at the door or Reb would stop to help a stranger get up after an hour of sleep from job number two or three, work for pennies or even free, he was simply routinely chopping wood and sending up a little timber to build that heavenly home. My dad grew up a small boy in a small house down a small road in a small town, surrounded by a huge family with a whole lot of love to go around. Yet he spent his whole life searching for the love that matched the love he put out. 
It came from the only source that could match his astronomical output, God. Every time he would tear off a piece of the loaf and reach his hand back in the sack, that same piece would reappear. I love the man that drew the attention while doing the things you could see and appreciate, watch others brag on. But I grew to understand and love even deeper the man that never stopped giving, even when it seemed like he had nothing left to give. He may have gone unseen or unheard or unappreciated, or his deeds may never be mentioned or fade into obscurity. But to you, Red, TJ, Elijah, I see you. Just keep sending up your timber. One day, God will send a message to you that your house is done and they don't need any more materials. The move-in date is set and you can schedule the moving trucks. It's time to move into your heavenly home. All the rest you miss while gathering your two by fours for the framework, fixing someone's car or house, measuring off those two by eights for the floor joists, praying for the sick, or sharing the word in circles where the enemy may have surrounded you is all worth it when you spend your first night in the house you dreamed of so long ago.